You're listening to a message from Red Church in Melbourne, Australia. If you'd like to know more about Red or its ministries, please go to redchurch.org.au. I feel like it's been a long time. Uh, Hands up if you have no idea who I am or have never met me. Uh, It's been a while since I've had the privilege of speaking with the PM crew and I'm really privileged to do so Um, and I'm particularly privileged to start to set the scene for what I think is one of the most significant series we could possibly look at. Um, As was introduced, this is a series about the Holy Spirit. I'm not sure what thoughts or emotions that concept um, conjures up in you. Um, but it is probably one of the most misunderstood yet most vital aspects of not just the church today, but our lives today. Emil Brummer, a theologian, said that uh, the tragedy of the greatest tragedy in the church is that it just doesn't withhold the gospel from the world, but it withholds the gospel from itself. I'm not sure what you think the gospel is or what your understanding of the gospel is. Uh, We just celebrated the crux of it over Easter, that this, this God came in human skin, lived a perfect life and died on our behalf, but defeated death and rose again. Um, that is the most glorious story you can ever hear. Uh, but if we don't understand the rest of the story, we actually only have half a gospel because the gospel isn't the cross. The gospel is what the cross achieved and the life that we can enter into now. And so what we get to explore in this series is that very life. And in all honesty, after Sarah Hawkins' video, I don't actually think I need to speak. Uh, That girl has such a beautiful grace about her and an authority because she knows the Holy Spirit. She lives and breathes um, the presence of the Holy Spirit and she can be in another room, probably in Lilydale, while you're watching that and yet you feel that Holy Spirit emanating of her. Oh, for more people who have that effect on people's lives, that leave a compelling, what what is that? I I want more. So this series is about that. This series is looking at the Holy Spirit. Today, I'm just gonna lift the lid. We're covering this between now and June 9 when we celebrate Pentecost, the beginning of the church, the Holy Spirit being poured out. And so today, all I wanna do is just set the scene to look at the breadth of the topic. And then as weeks go by, we're going to look at all sorts of different things around gifts, around disappointment, um, around what it means to be filled with the Spirit and a whole series of different topics. But today, consider this is your introduction. Um, and I'm going to do my best <laughs> to introduce you to one of the most mysterious topics we could be looking at, yet the most uh, forgotten and misunderstood. I want to start uh, with a passage here from Acts 1. And before I go there, I want you to realise that Jesus has come, he has died. The disciples are rightly so, are feeling a bit peeved or a bit disappointed or ripped off. Not sure if you've had that feeling before. Uh, but God himself had walked and talked with them for three years and then within a manner of week, everything turned from glory days to death. And they felt really disappointed and ripped off that this God wasn't who he said he was, that instead of bringing in the kingdom and Israel climbing up the status quo of the ladder of the day and standing on top of the empire of Rome, they were now seeing their Jesus that they loved in the most humiliating death on a cross. And they're confused and they're despondent Um, It's only a couple of women who happened to encounter the fact that he actually did rise again and it was them who gave them that good news. Oh my goodness, did he have a different plan all along? 
Is there something else that he was actually saying? And yet when they go back in time, they go, oh, he told us this would happen. Oh, he actually said that. But what is it today that he tells us will happen, but we're kind of caught up in just the despondency or the disappointment or um, the, the reality of life that we miss out on actually, I know I told you this is going to happen. But this is what I've got for you. This is what I want to do. He spends 40 days as a resurrected Jesus continuing his teaching that he started on earth about the kingdom of God and then he resurrects, um, well, ascends, sorry, into heaven. And we have this passage in Acts 1 written by Luke who also wrote the Gospel of Luke and he says this, in my former book, Luke, Theophilus, who I don't know who that is but I like his name, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostle, the apostles, the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is Jesus' favourite topic. There is no topic he speaks about more than the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the realm of his rule and his reign where his will happens unfettered. Nothing to distract, to steal it, to discourage it. And he talked about that the whole three years that he had his ministry, only three years. And then he comes back alive, dead and then alive, and then speaks about the same topic again. <laughs> but this time with even greater authority because he'd actually changed the world order. Prior to Jesus, we have this reality where heaven and earth are completely separated, that there is the good and then there's the good and the bad kind of mixed on this place called earth. And the presence of who God was had to be separated because of evil and sin and things that were bad to enter the world, not because God wanted to take his bat and ball and leave and go home, but because by the very essence of who he is, he cannot be in a place that isn't holy. A little bit like who get the opposite ends of a magnet and try to get them together. You just possibly can't because they're too compelling or repelling energies. And so we have this distance and this separation. And throughout the drama of scripture, we see these moments where the, Ho the Holy Spirit, God's presence himself, is able to come down and do something but then has to go. He never has freedom to come and do stuff with his people or on the earth. And so a few chosen prophets and a few chosen instances have the encounter of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. But what we have, because Jesus' death is the death of death that absorbed all of that evil and all of that suffering and all of that curse, all of a sudden those two, heaven and earth, can combine. That you don't have to wait till heaven to experience the reality of the kingdom of God, but it's a reality that we have before us right now, which is why when Jesus' first message he spoke was repent, turn around from the way you're living because the kingdom of God is here. It doesn't have to be like this. There's a whole other uh, avenue, there's a whole other room that I want you to enter into. And so this is what Acts 1 is telling us, is happening in real time post-Easter post the death and then the resurrection of Jesus. The passage goes on. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave him this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptised with water, 
but in a few days you'll be baptised with the Holy Spirit. Hands up if you understand that passage. It's easy to just, let's just move on. There's a few juicy things in there. The disciples knew that Jesus gave, passed on the mission he had, he gave to the 12. He said, I'm going, now it's your turn, carry on. A few zealous and excited disciples went, woohoo, let's go, let's do this thing. And he's like, don't you dare go. Don't even think about living this life I'm calling you to without the Holy Spirit. Don't even think that you can do this on your own merit, on your own intellect, on your own giftedness, on your own belief. Wait. The word wait in Hebrew is an active concept. It's not passive. It means to seek. It means to wait expectantly for something to come. It's to look out the window to see if that person's coming up the driveway yet. Are they here yet? It's an active stance, it's not a passive stance. And he says, wait for the spirit so then you can go with my presence and complete the mission that I've got for you. And then the cryptic bit. For John baptised with water, but in a few days you'll be baptised with the Holy Spirit. And he is speaking here about a second baptism. At this stage, people's theological cogs are going to be going, nye, 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 nye. I was baptised as a child, but do you get do you, do you baptised with the Spirit when you become a Christian? Do you learn? Not sure, but we're going to look at it. Um, all I know is, is that God's got more for us than what we have now, as individuals and as a church. And so we have these two baptisms that Jesus speaks about, baptism of the Holy Spirit, and then the very dwelling presence of God himself. This is a big deal. And according to Jesus, there's no point trying to live life without this. Without this, it is hard. If there's a Holy Spirit, there's a lot of unholy spirits. We don't understand the spiritual world because you have grown up and you have been taught since you were little that all that matters is what you can taste, see and touch. What is rational, what can be understood in the mind. We are one of the very few generations or cultures that have grown up with that worldview. Other worldviews, the spiritual reality is more dominant than what you can see. And God knows that that is the reality. And so he's saying, I want to give you the Holy Spirit the good one that can overcome any other spirit that you have. So Jesus gives this incredible cryptic but intriguing response and in good human fashion, this is the human response. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They have an ideal and they have an expectation of what it is Jesus is going to do and who Jesus is going to be. The whole time Jesus walked amongst them, their unspoken expectation was that Israel would be restored as a nation and an entity. That the oppressor of Rome at the time would be defeated and Israel would climb the ladder of what was the status quo of the time. And here Jesus is going, I've got this Holy Spirit, I've got two baptisms for you. Um, you're going to go to Judea, you're going to go to Samaria, you're going to go to the ends of the earth of which you and I are the byproduct of, by the way. But they're stuck over here. So are you going to build the kingdom in Israel? Old expectations were hindering their ability to see and perceive a completely new thing that God had for them. And so in true focused Jesus fashion, he replies and says, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power 
when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He'd spoken about this many times when he was alive prior to his death and he's on message. He stays on point. He is determined that his purposes get, get released on the earth. And death can't defeat that. Human expectation can't defeat that. Human despondency can't defeat that. He's on target, he's on message, and he's determined that this Holy Spirit come. In fact, in an earlier passage in Luke, he says in leading up to his death, he goes, guys, it's better that I go, because if I go, you get to have the Holy Spirit. He is so excited about that. It's like he's got a really good friend that he wants another really good friend to meet and he can't wait till you meet. And he's so excited about you meeting that he's not even insecure. He doesn't have to be there in the meeting. He's like, you guys are going to love each other and it is better that I go. He has such an anticipation and hope around the Holy Spirit and he knows that it's coming to be the Holy Spirit's season and he's excited. He's not remotely worried or concerned. And so this series is about this very topic. This is the more in the more than me that we see on our slogan all the time when we look at our logo. This year we're looking at a year-long series of more than me, getting outside of ourselves to realise there is a much bigger reality and a much bigger story that is, um, we're invited into. But sometimes we can look at the me so much we just do more navel-gazing. I think we've had enough of that. It's just enough. It's just enough. What about the more? Where is the more? The disciples, after Jesus had died, were like, was this it? For me, having just come off the back of Easter, is this it? Is, it, is life now just a, a bitter gritting of teeth until we die and get to go to heaven? Is this it? No. There is more to the Christian story and the life that God has got for you than you possibly or probably do realise. There is more than I realise. There is more that this king who's still creating his story in the earth as we live and breathe has for his church than we realise. And this more is about the era where the Holy Spirit is released to activate and animate, renew, restore and instill the truths of what is the kingdom of God. So I'm excited to be looking into this. I'm not sure what your history is, what your denominational background is. Hands up if you grew up in church. A fair bunch of you. Those who haven't, I would so love to have coffee with you. I love those stories. Us who grew up in church are weird. But you guys like have had this refreshing encounter with who this God is. And the only reason you know him is not because you grew up in church, because the Holy Spirit chased you down and knocked on your heart and revealed. If you say Jesus is Lord, you've already encountered the Holy Spirit because you cannot have a revelation of who Jesus is outside of a blasphemous noun or a name without the Holy Spirit revealing that to you. The role of the Holy Spirit is to reveal who the Son is and then pop you into the same relationship the Son has with the Father. And then he dances all over it and grins. He loves it. And so in a church that has a variety of church backgrounds... I'm going to do my best to try and canvas where we could all possibly sit. Okay, bear with me. This is my best effort. <laughs> On one end of the spectrum, you've got the super spiritual end, which is, it is all about the spirit. Jesus has come and gone. He's released the spirit on the earth and now it's the spirit's turn. 
And this is where it's all about the supernatural. It's all about signs and wonders. We pray for healing over every illness from cancer to the scratch on my finger. And we also pray about what colour socks we're going to wear that day. Everything goes through that lens. And there's a a genuine part of me that doesn't want to mock that because God knows we could do more about thinking about the Holy Spirit and inviting the Holy Spirit into our day-to-day decisions. But for the sake of this example, I'm talking about an extreme, which means it's the Holy Spirit only, and it's all about experience and heightened experience. The theology is you only need the Spirit. You don't need the Word. You don't need to learn. You don't need to use your mind. It's all about fluffy. The behaviour of this is strange. It can be disrespectful at best, but it's manipulative and controlling at worst. Uh, And the amount of people who have stories of spiritual abuse from this end of the spectrum are many. Genuine people with genuine hearts for God, but something just went a little bit haywire. Something went a little bit crazy and distracted. And so the spirit without the word gets, gets weird. I get uncomfortable. Other people get uncomfortable. I'm not sure how much glory that that extreme uh, expression brings to God. The other end of the spectrum, I'm not sure of the right word to use, I've just called it enough. (laughs) That is, there is no more. We have enough. Jesus died, rose again, we have everything we need in Christ. Uh, People along this end of the spectrum are heavy on the gospel being the cross, heavy on doctrine and heavy on word. But just like the spirit without the word gets gets weird, the word without the spirit gets dry and there's nothing about that belief, that life or the behaviour that I find compelling or actually speaks of a God whom the world would want to know about. Many of our denominations, uh, not all, have come from what they call a cessationist uh, belief and the cessationist belief is that, yes, the Holy Spirit's real but really only in Acts and the apostolic age to kickstart the church. And now it's over. No more engagement, no more outpouring, no more anointing, no more animating of life and creativity, no more freedom from oppression. We have everything we need in the doctrine of God's word. Both extremes are damaging. And both extremes mean that we actually miss out on who the Holy Spirit is. Where are you in the spectrum? A chunk of you might put yourselves in the middle. When I did this spectrum, I was like, what, where, where would I be? I grew up Baptisty, Church of Christy. Anyone else in that bucket? Has anyone worked out the difference? <laughs> <laughs> I think the only difference is communion every week in Church of Christ. That's about it. Uh, And my background, I'm not saying this is yours, but I I would say this is the broad brushstroke of our Christian culture, is that the Holy Spirit is footnoted. If you put something as a footnote, it's, it's valuable enough to actually mention at the bottom of the page in size six font, but it's not important enough to feature in the book. And the Holy Spirit has been acknowledged but put aside because we don't understand it and we don't necessarily get it. Combine that with a rationalist worldview that is based on reason, how on earth do you put reason to a spirit? It's metaphysical, it's a completely different type of energy. 
And so we've footnoted. And the unfortunate thing is, is that that means we are actually missing out on what God has got for us now today. I heard someone say once, I've never forgotten, the Old Testament was the father, was centre, front and stage, and he was rejected. In the New Testament, Jesus was the centre point, front and stage, and he was rejected and killed. And we're now in the age of the Holy Spirit. And what are we doing in our time, real time, where we get to hold the fort and steward the age we're in? It's time to actually have a look at the Holy Spirit. So when you have a look at these two extremes, what you realise is that no human with good reason and intent ever wants to sideline the Holy Spirit or overemphasise the Holy Spirit so things get wacky and weird. Could it be that an enemy who hates God, therefore hates the Father, Son and Holy Spirit, has a targeted assault against the people actually knowing the truth of the Spirit? Tozer says this, Satan has opposed the doctrine of the spirit-filled life about as bitterly as men any doctrine there is. He has confused it, he has opposed it, and surrounded it with false notions and fears. He has blocked every effort of the Church of Christ to receive from the Father the divine and blood-brought patrimony. I had to look all that up. Basically means you're God-given right. The Church has tragically neglected this great liberating truth that there is now for the child of God, a full and wonderful and completely satisfying anointing with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit-filled life is not a special deluxe edition of Christianity. It is part and parcel of the total plan of God for his people. And so when I say the greatest tragedy in the church is that we haven't just withhold the gospel from the world, we've withheld it from ourselves. This is what I'm talking about. As Sarah mentioned in the video, what does it look like? The oppressed are freed. The hungry are fed. Pain is healed. There is a reanimating, God-glorifying freedom that comes over a person whenever they encounter the presence of the Holy Spirit. And there are people that I have met that whose life circumstances are awful and horrible, and yet who they are and how they carry themselves far transcends that. Because what the Holy Spirit is, is brings the fullness of the presence of God to that situation and it eclipses the difficulty that is there. And that is the gospel. The cross is the door to another room. The cross isn't the room. And so when you encounter who Jesus is, his death and his resurrection means there's a whole other reality open up to you now for those who have the faith and the hunger and the ability to want to enter in. But you can't stand at the threshold. You can't sit in the waiting room. It's an active posture that wants to enter in. So Spirit's role throughout the whole Bible is to activate and animate. It is the presence of God. It is the one who reveals Christ, as I mentioned, um, and activates the ongoing work. When you look at the Old Testament, you realise that the Holy Spirit is through it from the beginning. From Genesis 1... Verse 1, the beginning of our story, having God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God being triune, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Verse 2, and the Spirit hovered over the waters. You can just see this pregnancy of anticipation that this creating, animating Spirit is hovering over the waters going, what am I going to do with it? In Hebrew, the word Spirit is ruach, which means breath. So I want you to breathe now. 
by very virtue that you have breath, means that you already encountered the Holy Spirit. That is not some nice little theological thing to put out there. That's actually true. Without you even knowing you're doing it, you're breathing in and you're breathing out, you're breathing in, you're breathing out. There's an animating spirit that is over the whole created order and that is the breath of God. If you know him or you don't know him, that's how real he is and that's how present he is in this world that we have that breath. But as life goes on, as the story goes on, you have him as the creator and the source of life. You have him the presence with the Israelite people as they are called out. You have him... um, being the pillar of cloud by day in the story of Exodus, the pillar of fire by night, he is the presence. He releases creative gifts. Whenever you look and read about history and revivals or movements of God's spirit, creativity always go hand in hand with the release of the spirit. And I'm not talking about the creativity where you can put a nice filter on Instagram, preferably the gold toaster. I'm talking about a genuine creativity where something completely new is being expressed. Do we or do we not live in a time and place where we're desperate for imagination? Are we not bored and or dying for lack of imagination? The same, same Groundhog Day? We think it's all been done. Maybe it hasn't. There was a renaissance in the 1500s where forgotten creativity was rebirthed, literally. We need a life renaissance. (laughs) We need a rebirth into life again. And when the Holy Spirit is released, creativity goes hand in hand. Special anointings fall on people. There's revelation to prophets. In the Old Testament, it's only on a few because you've got that separation from heaven and earth and the Holy Spirit can only kind of go in a little bit, can't stay there for long and then leaves. But the Holy Spirit dwells in fullness in God's temple and the tabernacle as well. And so holy is this divine presence that only the priest can enter in and only once a year. That's why monks have a cord around their their belt in case they die in the presence of God, they can get pulled out. It's holy. When you encounter something holy, whatever is not holy burns away. When you encounter something holy, whatever is not right or true or matches that holiness gets dealt with which is why often when the presence of God enters a space in manifest, of course, yes, the presence of God is everywhere, sarcasm intended. I'm talking about the manifest presence of God. Things are put back in their proper order. And so you see throughout the Old Testament these signposts and foretastes and the Holy Spirit inspires prophets to speak about two things. A coming Messiah who will take away the curse on the world and a coming of a Holy Spirit that won't just be poured out on a few prophets and a couple of priests, but poured out on who? Go on, see if you can beat the AM crew. What's the promise of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament? Thank you, Emily. Old man and young man, on women, on men, on sons and daughters, on slaves and free. In other words, it's not some divine version of Christian belief. It's available for everyone. I'm not sure what your experience of it is. Simon Ponsonbini's book called More, which we're making available, we at the bookstand for you to buy, uh, talks about all the questions that are raised with this whole topic about the Holy Spirit. Is it second to conversion? Is it next to conversion? And he unpacks all the different ideas giving biblical references for all. 
And what I love is he says, I don't actually know necessarily because it's the Holy Spirit who can do all sorts of different things. For some people, it is an instant divine encounter. And I've had people have these stories where they have a palpable sense of God's presence. And when that happens, they're marked with joy. They are marked with boldness. And they are marked with this unfettered assurance about who they are before God. And they are struck by the love of God. And that love then mobilizes them into a whole new way of being. I don't think I've had that. I don't know about you. I'd love to have that. Some people are scared of it. I'm not. I would love it. <laughs> Simon Ponsby says, some people jump into the deep end of the pool and some people walk down. I literally walk down <laughs> in the pool from the shallow end to the deep end. And my, my experience has been that that's my encounter with the Holy Spirit. I'm walking down to the deep. But you know, it, it doesn't matter in one sense because... Whether I have been baptised or I have not been baptised in the Holy Spirit, all I know is I want more. This is enough. It's not enough in my personal life. It's not enough in um, the world of church. It's not enough for what the world is needing. And I'm hungry for more. And it's Christ's invitation that we seek out this gift. And this is what this series is about. In the New Testament... That's the Old Testament where it's just setting the scene. In the New Testament, it's, uh, the New Testament's written in Greek and the word is pneuma, spirit, which again means breath and spirit. And right from the start, you have John the Baptist giving a baptism of repentance and then he says, I baptise you for the repentance or for the forgiveness of sins, but someone is going to come whose shoes are not even worthy to tie, who's going to give you another baptism and he's going to baptise with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Matthew 3, 11, early on in the Gospels, we have this two-baptism thing. Fire, similar to holy, burns up anything impure, anything that is not right, anything that is not good, anything that is against the created order of a loving God and a good Father, the Holy Spirit cleanses and heals and repairs. Discouragement, failure, shame, oppression, jealousies, despondency, and he loves to do it. He's excited to do it. Then we have Jesus. Jesus is conceived by the Holy Spirit. You cannot remove the Holy Spirit from the life and ministry of Jesus. Conceived by the Holy Spirit. His ministry didn't commence without it. As Sarah said, Luke 4, the Holy Spirit takes him to the wilderness where he's tested. But the Holy Spirit is with him that whole time. He prepares Jesus for ministry. And in fact, he's the one that does the ministry. And it's taken me 39 years to realise this Easter I had an epiphany. You may be ahead of me, I don't know. But this Easter, I'm like, hang on a second. I thought Jesus died, was put in a tomb, and because he's Jesus, he waited three days and went, okay, it's time to wake up. And we have the story. No. Do you know Jesus fully, fully, fully died? He was dead, dead. Like, dead. The Holy Spirit, the creator and source of life, resurrected him. Why does that matter? Can you imagine the trust Jesus had of the Father and the Spirit to go, I'm fully, fully dying here. You guys better raise me to life. 
I don't know what's going on in your life where through surrender and lack of control, you're there and you're like, you better turn up. You better turn up for me. That desperation and the resurrection in your life is so needed and so real, but you can't control it. You cannot resurrect your pain or the things that have happened to you or the disappointments. You cannot resurrect the life. Actually, God spoke over you when you were knit together in your mother's womb. You have no power over that. It doesn't matter how many personality tests you do, how many self-help books you read, and how many times you win the day. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. And this is what is so magnificent about his invitation before us, is he says, would you just, like, I'm here. Song of Songs talks about a God who leaps over the mountains, but he knocks at the I cannot help but feel that's where we're at at the moment, not just as a church at Red, but as a church the worldwide. The church the worldwide is like a carp. Carp is a fish. And in his book, More, by Simon Ponsonby, he talks about how he was on a holiday with his family and he woke up one morning and he just felt the Spirit of God say to him, I'm going to talk to you today very clearly about my church. And he's like, cool, love that. Love the church, love you talking to me. So he's kind of anticipating something. In the afternoon, they went down to the bottom of the property where they were staying, where there was a decent-sized pond, and he saw a carp, a fish about this big, uh, in the shallows, but the shallow of the shallows, so only a bare minimum amount of water. And naturally, when you see a fish where it doesn't belong, it struggles. It had enough water to kind of flap about, but not enough water to be free. And he was really burdened by that and he tried to work out a way to save the carp and he, he got a brush and shovel and he tried to dig, because you know if you touch fish they get sick, so he's like trying to deal with the fish and then he takes it to the deep end. Flies off. As he was walking back to the accommodation, the Holy Spirit said, um, that's my church. Stuck in the mud. Looks good, the cogs are turning. The rosters are filled. But there's no water coming through the pipes. And the people are dry and thirsty. And they're discouraged for a lack of life and vigour that I want to bring. He says in his book, the church is like that carp, mature, distinguished and impressive. She has lived long, fought hard, eaten well. But she has left or been lured out of the deep waters. And here she is stuck in the mud and suffocating. Occasional momentary relief from the odd spiritual watering cannot save her. Her only hope is to get back into deep water. He goes on to say that many Christians are unaware that there is, an e there is even a deep end. They become so used to living in the shallows that they think this is now the norm. It's not the norm. Are we withholding the gospel from the world? And are we withholding the gospel from ourselves? To have footnoted and sidelined the Holy Spirit. This series is all about having a healthy word and spirit look at the Holy Spirit. The one who is the animator and the activator. The one who when he comes, the presence of God is known and felt. Life is put in its proper alignment and people are freed.
I don't know if you've met anyone full of the Spirit. Do you know, I, I can count on 10 fingers how many Christians I've met that I can say yes. They're marked by joy. It's not happiness. It's deeper than that. It's infectious. They're marked by strength. They're marked by boldness. And yes, there's gifts and all that stuff. We'll look into all of that. But at the moment, that's, that's not what's important. But they're free. And their freedom is so infectious that they cannot help but bring freedom to the very person they're speaking to. Josh Butler was like that when he came for Rebuilders. For those who had the blessing of speaking to him one-on-one, I left every conversation I had with him, I felt like I'd just been face-to-face with the Father. Had incredible joy and love. Every person he spoke to, he made sure the conversation was about them. He looked into your eyes and he looked at you. I then found out what is going on in his personal life back home and I was like, you would never know. No one would ever know the trials and the struggles that he's facing in real time because he's standing above them. They're not shaping him. Something else is shaping his reality. Some of these people are exceptional and they're given a platform, but the majority of people aren't. We often forsake the, or miss out on the supernatural because we're looking for the spectacular. But in the hidden, everyday places where the fruits of the spirit of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness are made manifest in situations and decisions. But what would it look like for a church collectively to imbibe that together? It's the Holy Spirit that started the church It's the Holy Spirit that empowers the church. In fact, to not have the Holy, we are the church to the degree we're led by the Spirit. So I think there are a lot of social organizations around, but where's the church? Empowered and mobilized, set free. Because the Holy Spirit is certainly no footnote, but a biblical reality. I'm gonna read this passage over you as we come to a close. This is Isaiah 55. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come and buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labour for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And as we enter into this series, I've got one word for you as I get there. Seek the Lord while he may be found. In other words, there are times and places where he's actually knocking at the door more than usual. And there are times and places where he actually wants you to let him in so that he can actually do something new and different. He can put the house back in order and put it in a design that you couldn't even think of yourself. Seek the Lord while he may be found. 
In the Hebrew, this means an ardent, persistent, ongoing seeking. It's a bit like that active waiting. It's not just sitting on the couch waiting for someone to appear and knock at the door. It's like, are they coming yet? Are they here? It's ardent. It's persistent. It's looking for. And what's interesting is that the word seek in Hebrew is synonymous with the word repent. A word we don't use very often to our own demise. But to repent isn't some heavy Christian concept that's like, told you you were bad. No. It's to say this isn't working. And this isn't the life that I know that I'm called for. And I know there is more, but I don't know how to get it. And I look to who you are, Jesus. And I know you live that perfect life and you want to live that perfect life for me. So I'm going to turn towards you. I'm going to turn from that way and I'm going to face this way. And I'm going to come towards you and I'm going to surrender. And I'm just going to admit I can't do it. I'm tired of trying. I'm tired of pretending. And I want more. There has to be more to life than this. There has to be more to faith than this. And so to seek is to cry out and to ask for it. I believe with all that I am and I would put my house on it. In fact, I'd put my life on it. But the Holy Spirit is knocking on the door of Red Church. And it's not a given whether the door will be opened or not. It's up to us whether we're going to open the door. And so as the worship band comes up, this seeking is active, it's not passive. And so if any part of what was spoken resonated with you, or there was a hunger or whatever, I won't have to speak to it, I'm going to get you to get out of your seat and not be passive in a I speak, you listen zone. But I'm just going to get you to come forward and kneel here and I'm going to pray over all of us. And this isn't amazing. This isn't a sign of a miracle or anything like this. All that is is us collectively and actively showing. Holy Spirit, we don't want you as a footnote in our church. And Holy Spirit, we don't want you as a footnote in our life. And we don't necessarily know what it means, but we trust you. And as a church together, we want to seek you. And so as we gather in worship, if you feel a compulsion around that or even just a slight interest of yes, I'm going to invite you to come forward and kneel and then I'll pray over us as we close in worship.